welcome back to the TF Tuesday podcast. My name is Zill. I hope y'all have been having a good week and that everyone has been staying hydrated. Today, I have two returning guests that I'm very excited to have back aboard to chat a little bit about some shared topics of interest. So to start off, Cameron, would you like to reintroduce yourself? Sure. Hi, I'm Cameron. Um, I'm also a curious fox and I'm a hobbyist artist. I was the veterinarian who talked about why you can't use science to TF. So I'm sorry. (laughs) Yeah, so we did crush some dreams there, unfortunately, but that's okay. And uh, Toledo. Hi, I'm Toledo. I uh, was on and I spoke about photo manipulations and enclosed cognition. And why getting dressed is transformation. That did spark uh, some spicy discussions, I must say. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'll die in the hill. Yeah, you, you don't think it's TF, do you, Cameron? I don't even think magical little transformations are TF, so... <laughs> Well, well, we'll we'll put that to the side for a minute. Uh, we might come back to that. But yeah, I'm really excited to have you both on. And in particular, I was really interested to chat with you both about asexuality and how that intersects with transformation. Because I think it's a topic that doesn't always get broached with a lot of nuance. And given that we're all on the ace spectrum, I know that our own individual relationships with that term differs quite significantly as well. So I was curious if you would like to chat a little bit about how you personally define asexuality and how you relate with it. So yeah, it's one of those things that's what is kind of a minority. It's really varied in experience. And I guess the way I consider it, the way it's typically defined is someone who does not experience sexual attraction. But there are like kind of various levels to that, including like someone who does not necessarily desire to have sex or does not have the interest in that, or at least does not have the interest in a kind of culturally normative way or degree. And that's how I uh, kind of think of it. And in my experience, that's kind of what mine has been where it's just, I was utterly baffled hearing that these were things that people could not like help thinking about or really wanted. I thought that like it had to be a sequence of like conscious choices to like (laughs) want to have sexual relations with someone, not something that came to mind. And so I was like, oh, this is... I guess I'm the odd one out. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's kind of an alien experience. Yeah, yeah. Like, speaking of alien experiences, it's like I identified with Spock as a kid. And I'm like, oh, oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, the guy who does not experience attraction. Save every seven years, but that's... Yeah, (laughs) that's a whole other story. (laughs) Alien uh, biology. (laughs) Anyway, I I hope that answers the question. Yeah, absolutely. How about you, Cameron? Sure. I'm much more of a definitionalist, I guess. I like to have (laughs) rigid definitions to follow. So the one that usually gets tossed around is the the same one where you don't experience sexual attraction. 
but if you like try looking into it, like most people who are ace eventually do somewhere probably in their mid to late teens to early twenties when they're really questioning things, there's a ton of variety and like a, a huge spectrum of where you can fall on it is pretty interesting to be honest. So yeah, a lot of, a lot of media portrays it as like the totally clueless person who is never interested in it or even repulsed by it. So it is kind of, you can end up a lot of different places from just having, and and like there's even um, like one that's called demisexual where you have to develop a really specific kind of relationship with somebody before it to ever happen. Um, So I I think I would probably put myself closer to there. And a lot of people think it just means no sex drive and it doesn't mean that either. So usually when I am trying to explain it to people, I say it's a lot like being hungry, but not having an appetite. So you look in the fridge and nothing looks good, but pretty much forever, nothing will look good. And so you can never really satisfy um, that kind of hunger. And it also was kind of baffling to me that people would experience this and had this interest. And I remember not being made fun of, but kind of sort of in high school for kind of feeling this way way back before I even knew about it. And I was like a super... Because I didn't have any interest in it, I was just like a super late bloomer to what people were even talking about. <laughs> and so, like, I still am often baffled on, like, other than companionship, what the point of going on dates and having a girlfriend, boyfriend, significant other, what have you, is. <laughs> and so it just kind of, it's it's an interesting kind of strange, I don't know, category personality trait or something no i think it's interesting you mentioned that too i know that in my experience and i guess this probably also doesn't seem to i often get this question in that the content that i often produce online does not seem to align with me saying i'm also asexual um and i think that you know what's really interesting like both of you have kind of alluded is that there's a lot of different varieties of being asexual and the definition encompasses so many different things. There is this comic that I think really well sums up where I sit. Um, And it was like, I I forget the artist, I apologize, but it was basically a moth character. And it was like one of those like Drake meme formats where it was like, sex in practice, nah, but sex as a concept, yeah. And that's kind of where I sit (laughs) um, in that I do like find those sorts of situations to be interesting but i have never actually felt any sort of outward sexual attraction and the focus of a lot of what i find interesting is actually all basically solo stuff so it's always been interesting to me that i guess misconception to some degree like what you were saying cameron of like you know it's like always being hungry but never having an appetite it's like you just don't find some of these things interesting, even if in your mind, to some degree, you might still enjoy certain things. And I think that's kind of a difficult topic for a lot of people to grapple with, particularly as it relates to transformation media, because a lot of it is kind of, for lack of a better term, it is often sexually charged for a lot of people. So I always think it's interesting that when we have these conversations talking about what a sexuality can mean, there's still a lot of confusion and a lot of people who just don't understand how that could be missing. And I feel like that's a broader topic as well of just society in general, but particularly within TF media, I've noticed that 
often it bumps up against that, particularly if you have created any sort of content that is not safe for work. And then it's like, well, why would you even produce this if you're not into it? And it's like, well, it's hard to explain, you know? <laughs> yeah, this gets into um, another thing that kind of is adjacent to asexuality and the, the talk about paraphilias. And I, I prefer the term paraphilia because not only is it kind of a little more clinical and I just like the sound better than something like fetish or kink, but it also kind of allows for a middle ground where it expresses something other than like sexual desire. Just like how asexuality helps us understand that there are different modes of attraction that in many people are just collapsed into a single level of, oh yes, my attraction via visuals, touch, romance, desire for sex, all kind of coincides in the, in the same objects. Like with paraphilias, you can get those different levels. Like you can get someone who's interested in it because it's like visually or like imaginatively appealing. Like for me, one of the things that I love about transformation is proprioceptive imagination. Just like imagining being in a body and feeling different like limbs. It's really cool to imagine having wings, for instance. Or you could be like romantically interested in it. Like it's something that you like to see in stories it connects with some part of your being. Actually, I saw a tweet the other day that I thought explained this really well. And I'm going to use the word paraphilia instead of the word kink that the tweet uses, but it says, if you are ever confused by a paraphilia, usually the answer is related to a metaphor that the paraphilia expresses. And usually that metaphor is something like, I am desired, or I have power and respect, or I no longer need to make decisions. Or I would add something like, I feel more like myself. They're, they're themes that I think can come out particularly through the metaphor of transformation and things that are kind of illuminated in their diversity by being willing to pull back the layers and see that what we term sexuality is related to a lot of human experience that we don't often call, you know, sex. No, that's a really good point. And I think that oftentimes, like you said, and I think that tweet you kind of like quoted is so appropriate to when it comes particularly to a lot of people's interest in transformation, like there are things that can make a concept attractive that doesn't necessarily bleed into sexual or it maybe it can, but only in like the realm of fiction. And in particular, I think it's interesting in that so much of transformation at its core can remain just in the fictional realm and still be of deep interest. I know that obviously for a lot of us, getting to experience that to some degree, like you kind of suggested, would be like, you know, this is me feeling more comfortable as myself, or this is me assuming an interesting form that I would like to inhabit. And all of those things can be tied to something sexual, but they don't have to be. And having an interest in those things doesn't necessarily bleed into the other. And I think that it's that kind of connection between the two that I think people don't understand how it could be disconnected for others. Yeah. For some folks, certain clothing choices are 
related to sex for others it's not um (laughs) it's this is this is very true (laughs) the the variety of human experience it's this is also why i prefer the word orientation as opposed to sexual orientation because it allows for the diversity of degrees in which like the way we are drawn to themes or to each other are experienced in human life Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely so then you know drawing on the realm of human experience what have your kind of experiences been in terms of having a sexuality bump up against navigating online fandoms like transformation in which these sexual topics can often dominate conversations uh i don't know cameron what has your experience been like on that front yeah so sometimes it can be a little annoying or frustrating or just a little bit of a kind of like feeling a little bit left out but I don't know if it's like just a mindset kind of thing but I'm happy to listen because these people clearly have different experiences than me and that's can be interesting and you can learn something from it or get a better idea of what these kinds of things mean to them um so it can kind of help you be a little more uh, I don't know empathetic with them not not to say like they're suffering and <laughs> or anything, yeah, yeah. but just to try to understand their point of view so that's, that can be interesting, but sometimes it, it can be kind of annoying because some people, some people have that, that view where like their main goal is some sort of sexual thing and they can kind of twist what you are talking about sometimes. Like one thing I think is cool is, and like, I don't, I'm going to catch some flack for this just because of like <laughs> my experience with it, but like pony play seems kind of interesting to me, but I really don't like the sexual aspect. And so like, I think it would be fun because I don't know very much about horses and I want to learn more about horses I think it'd be fun to be in the position of being the horse and like somebody who knows something about horses actually teaching you about horses through this kind of fun pseudo TFE route but like the moment you say pony play a lot of people assume it's like fetish gear and sex related and all these kinds of things and it's like no can i please just be like goofy but also learn something about horses at the same time and just have some fun i i, I don't want this to go in that direction i just want to like play to be a horse yeah. a little bit <laughs> it's, it's funny it, the way you kind of phrased it reminds me of another meme i've seen on twitter where it's like the person's trying to like initiate a normal conversation and then like someone responds with like a just completely out of left field horny response and it's like i'm just trying to talk about this thing i have an interest in like can we please not veer in that direction right away especially when i haven't given an indication of being open to that yeah yeah and i've definitely gotten that kind of response before it's like okay so i guess conversation stopping here (laughs) or i'll try try to like regroup but if it goes again i'm done i'm not putting in the effort here (laughs) I, i think sometimes the problem is often that we all have our own kind of internal boundaries and sometimes the conversation will go in a direction that is bumping up against those and oftentimes people just don't ask like what are your boundaries around a certain topic and goodness knows that can come up quite a bit sometimes with commissioning and with commissioners and i know um toledo you've had some thoughts on that too yeah so i was going to mention that yeah i've had it like conversations where we're just talking about something and the other person will like take it a direction i'm not comfortable with i know at least one time I was like, hey, no, let's not go there. And the person got really mad at me. It's like, no, this is, it's a wrong baseline assumption. (laughs) 
to like think that what you're getting out of it or what you're interested in is what everyone is. But yeah, for a while I did a lot of transformation commissions. It was the majority of my commission work. This was, oh my goodness, eight years ago, holy cow, and farther back. And in addition to not being on kind of social media platforms that allowed me to meet people, it reduced the number of people that I could interact with. And a lot of the people I interacted with were, you know, fine people. But what we shared in common was a an interest in transformation and seldom was there anything deeper that could nourish a friendship and often i i kind of burned out on transformation stuff for other people except for friends because i didn't enjoy the feeling of kind of being used that way like mo people were were polite and nice and often fun, but it just, I, around the same time, I discovered the Furry Basketball Association. And not only was it like a shared creative venture, but it was connected to a community of people who were interested in creating together. And that just fired up my mind and showed me kind of what my, I guess, online furry experience could be like. And so, I, I didn't get that before when I was just doing transformation commissions. Now, I have plenty of transformation friends, um, and most of what I do transformation-related now is, you know, with friends because of these reasons. I, we, we see eye to eye, we play off each other, and it's fun and mutually, like, enjoyable. Yeah. It definitely sounds like particularly with how you viewed the Furry Basketball Association, what you were looking for was just inherently something that was a lot more collaborative. And you're still able to do that with friends, but that wasn't ever really what commissioning or taking on commissions really felt right. like. Exactly. It it felt like I was just, you know, filling an order. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I know that, you know, I have many wonderful commissioners and I love them all. I know that sometimes when you are doing a commission, it can be very much just focused on what the other person wants. And so it can be a little bit draining from a creative perspective at times. I know that, you know, for myself, when I do do commissions, I spend a lot of time on them, not because I don't want to. I like I'm, I'm spending a lot of time because I want to do a really good job because it's for someone else. But it's almost like, you know, there are things that I might let go in my own personal stuff, but I know I can't for a commission because, you know, this is something that someone's requested. There's a level of quality they're expecting. And I feel like, you know, I, I want to meet that quality. And so it then almost becomes like a, a weight to some degree when you're working on the piece. And, you know, to be clear, I've, there's plenty of commissions I've enjoyed working on, but it's a different dynamic. And I definitely feel like in terms of what you're saying, like it's a lot less collaborative and it can bump up against uncomfortable topics if the person you're interacting with is trying to steer things in certain directions when you're just trying to be professional so <laughs> yeah pulling it back to the kind of orientation conversation it's easier to know where friends are coming from and establish boundaries with friends 
than with, you know, commissioners. And so that's partly why I feel better around friends um, with these topics. They know what my boundaries are. I know what theirs are. And we just are able to enjoy each other's company um, without crossing those. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's one of the reasons that I really like doing trades with friends because you both get something fun out of it and you still kind of have a little bit of the pressure to do good work and um, not kind of slack off like you might for a personal piece. But you know that it's just with somebody you understand and you have um, an idea of what they want and you can go in with a little more, I don't want to say freedom, but um, with more clarity on what, what the outcome is going to be um, and then in the, at the same time, they're going to be doing the same for you. And then when you finally exchange your trade, you're like, oh, this is awesome. Oh, this is awesome. And it's just a great little feeling that you don't necessarily get from commissions because having something be a job and feel like a job definitely puts a different kind of pressure and a different kind of mental spin on the project. Yeah, absolutely. I, I definitely enjoy trades for that reason as well. And, you know, especially when it comes to like, photo manips there's even like a greater level of collaboration on those because it's like you know you're working on figuring out what the stock should look like and like talking about the concept beforehand and then like you know the other person has to go away and actually take the picture i i i genuinely uh find those to be really enjoyable and there's a lot to be gained for both parties out of it so then thinking about all of this in summary you know there's plenty of things i think that there are to appreciate around transformation from like a purely aesthetic psychological and intellectual perspective so my question is is there a way that we can elevate those focuses through the work that we make if that is kind of more of the angle from which we're coming from and do others have that responsibility too or is that kind of left up to us i think it's good to have a degree of this in the way we approach our work i know one way I do this in the transformation work I do now is not only kind of working on it with friends, but also keeping vibes that I'm comfortable with. So I, I'll often want to depict like happy TFs or like funny ones, because that's, that's something that I'm comfortable communicating in, you know, out to the world. Yeah, funny TFs, in my opinion, are always amazing. <laughs> it's just, it adds a, a degree of levity that I find in general is, is a lot of fun. And it the boundaries oftentimes are a lot more clear around those because when you create something that's supposed to be, you know, for lack of a better term, a meme, you know, people are primed to have a positive and kind of jovial reaction and less so potentially a, you know, a more sexually charged reaction. Yeah, that's a very good point. You're you're conditioning a response. And like in in one college course we talked about how people create their audience by what they put out. Depending on the sort of material you put out, you are attracting people and conglomerating them around you because they are interested in that same material. Like if you want to have a more intellectually or psychological approach to transformation or one that you're more comfortable with just put out the stuff that you're comfortable with and people will the people who attach to you and stick around will be the people who you gel with mm -hmm. 
No, that's a really good point. And definitely calling myself out a little bit because that is not the output I generally put out. So. <laughs> You're bringing it on yourself. <laughs> You'll be your own downfall. I am a little bit. I am a little bit. Because, I mean, look, if you're putting out, for lack of a better term, big dick energy in your pictures, I like that. that's the crowd you're going to attract. You're going to get big dick energy You're back. this little lombax who, like, is rolling down a snowy hill and just becomes a giant snowball. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm, I'm barreling down that mountain. So, you know, it's, it's, it's too late now. But no, I, I think, you know, that, that's a good point as well. We do kind of create our audiences to some degree in terms of what we put out. And, you know, it also means that if you have been putting out material that people really like, and then you take a bit of a different spin, because of the material you've done in the past, you might actually be priming people to be more open to seeing a different take because they say, well, you know, I really liked this person's work in the past. They did these things that really hit on those nails. And now conversely, maybe they're taking a bit of a different tact. And I wouldn't necessarily go for this at first blush if it came across my feed or what have you. Normally, I would just scroll past. But I have a connection, at least to some degree, a parasocial one with the art that this person's been putting out. So now that they're trying something else, maybe I will actually give it more of a thought because I was already here for one thing. And now that something else is being introduced to me, maybe I'll sample it a little bit. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And that kind of resonates with what I've experienced. I've had folks who found me back when I was primarily doing TF stuff who have expressed interest in my other projects, which has been, it's great. It's its fun to have those things that persist over time. Well, when you make a full anthro marching band, it's like, oh my God, this is awesome. I need to get in on this. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. That that one's been fun so far <laughs> yeah i really like the football one the football one was really good for me i was like this is my interests <laughs> <laughs> yeah and uh cameron what are your thoughts on i think the relationship between the audience and the content you put out and kind of driving any sort of change for lack of a better term in terms of how people view these things yeah i think i agree it's just kind of put out what you want and eventually the people who will find that interesting will interact with you in the way that you kind of are the vibes you set. So if you're just a safer work artist, hopefully you won't get too much horny uh, DMs. <laughs> but I don't know. I, I like for me, at least I just try to cultivate like I like TF from an interest way and in an intellectual way. Um, and there's an aesthetic component and I like to do stupid memes and make things silly. So I hope I'm just kind of attracting those people. Um, and that the lack of doing anything that I'm not very comfortable with will hopefully just kind of keep those kind of interactions away. As for like the whole community, I don't think, I don't know, <laughs> this is me being like an individualist. We all have our things. We all are here for a certain reason. And I don't think it's like... As much as I would like to see more intellectual or silly or meme kinds of stuff and a little less sexual stuff, um, I don't think it's up to me unless I'm specifically creating it to tell people what they can and cannot do. Like, clearly, this is here for a reason. People are enjoying it. Go for it. But I, I would like to see maybe less. Like, there are lots of other story elements than just being horny for somebody <laughs> and there's a lot of exploration that can happen there but 
at the end of the day, people can do what they want. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I mean, do whatever makes you happy. Yeah. And and to be clear, I'm not suggesting that we need to tell people what they should and shouldn't be into. But I do think that you both make a good point in terms of like, you know, when it comes to like elevating the kind of content that you might like, to some degree, the responsibility rests with you to kind of cultivate the sort of vibes that you want to to have and kind of surround your space with you know as with many things i feel like it comes down to the vibes it really is all about the vibes always has been. yeah <laughs> yeah it is and, uh, i definitely think we should put out a manifesto saying exactly what people should and shouldn't do in transformation art i think this would oh be my an, goodness i think it would be a productive use of time and would get no one upset <laughs> Oh, absolutely. Everyone would be so happy with it. I'm sure not a single person would be upset with absolutely that Absolutely not. I mean, as the people doing the active podcast, I say that you uh, have the final say and are qualified to write this manifesto and that we should do a vote right now on who should be on the, the committee. And I vote both Toledo and I Okay, cool. Perfect. I, I second this. I'm very down. There we go. <laughs> okay, we, okay we've passed the motion yeah we've, we've passed the motion unanimously this is now the council of tf and uh we're gonna write a manifesto and everyone has to agree with it because uh we said so <laughs> this sounds great yeah nothing, nothing will, will go wrong <laughs> okay jinx <laughs> <laughs> amazing well you know i also wanted to touch on how kind of transformation interacts in the real world because you know i think that oftentimes a lot of us are wrapped up in you know the online space and it's very very important particularly in terms of connecting with folks who have this shared interest but i think one of the things that has always interested me, and I know a past guest has mentioned this as well, like when we think about the real world with transformation, conventions are kind of like the internet if it was real. And I know that all of us have kind of gone to some varied conventions over the years. So I was curious to know a little bit more about what your experiences have been in general when it comes to meeting folks with our shared interest at these conventions. And have you found them to have been a productive space to meet others and to connect on a more personal level? I'm curious to know more about that. I've only kind of regularly been going to conventions for a couple years now. Although I did go back to one, go to one in like 2014 and did like a transformation art jam. Um, so I have a yes. bunch of sketches from back then. It's kind of funny. <laughs> and you did a picture uh, of the group that met up, didn't you? That one? No. Oh, is that but, a different one? Okay. Yeah. I, honestly, the only times I've engaged uh, with transformation stuff at conventions are your panels at MFF 2019 and 2021, and then a panel that Inanimorphs did at another convention this year, which was fun. Kind of did an overview of what like transformation media was like, and had several of my pieces in slideshow, and I was able to raise my hand and say like, "Hey, that's me." <laughs> so that was fun, and then. I guess for me, the, the primary draw of conventions is meeting people that I already know pretty well online. And the transformation meetups you've hosted have been great for that. Just kind of bringing everyone together in a place, get people seated and sketching and having silly conversations. And that, it, that, that's wonderful. I love it. 
No, I'm really glad to hear that. Obviously, this this entire podcast is actually a long con to just convince everyone to go to my convention panel. So I appreciate you bringing it up organically. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I think it's always really interesting when folks are kind of brought together in a space where they can talk about it in, a, in an atmosphere and on specific topics that they're really into. Um, so I definitely agree there. Um, what have your experiences been like, Cameron? Uh, so I haven't been a very regular con goer. Uh, I think I've been to MFF twice, and then a little local con twice, and then I went to FE once this past year. So not too many. Uh, and for me, they always happen to be when life decides to kick me down a hill, or in some ways, I'm usually not at my best, and I'm a pretty shy introvert, so... Usually, I just do a lot of hanging out and a lot of listening to people, which I enjoy. So I I kind of meet people just by listening, and I don't do um, too much, like, proactive interaction. Um, but it can be very interesting to kind of see these people and start putting, like, actual faces and personalities to to the online personas, which is really interesting. And it feels like the spaces are very generally safe and warm. And it's kind of interesting because, at least from my perspective, um, it seems like people like to talk about the sexual aspect, but they're more jokey and polite about it. And it's a lot less like actively being in your DMs horny. (laughs) And it's more just making silly jokes about it, understanding that most of the other people there probably feel the same way. Um, so I think it's, it's a very like positive environment. Yeah. I was, I was going to say, it's interesting that you've kind of noticed that in terms of listening into any conversations in terms of how they kind of talk about it in a more jokey manner when it comes to those kinds of, um, focuses, I was curious if there's been any conversations you've ended up listening to that have changed your mind on any things. Well, I listened to you and Anger Bodo talk about the internet and areas of the internet that I had never even heard of for like an hour and a half once. Um, <laughs> and I didn't say a word. <laughs> uh, or maybe it was just an hour, but um, that was interesting. I had no idea that kind of stuff was out there. Um, no, I, I don't think anything's particularly changed my mind. It was just kind of like confirming things that I already thought or just kind of like seeing the people be people rather than the character limits in a message or something, which was interesting. Um, and it, it made people a little more human. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. To their dismay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you know, I, I always think it's interesting to see that kind of translation of um, people online into in person and kind of see, you know, put not only, you know, voices to faces but also like mannerisms and such because obviously you know a lot of communication isn't just vocal or you know through like text it's also like how you say it so i think there's always a a value in terms of being able to kind of see that in your interactions and you know when it comes to a lot of the kind of meetups i've always found that people are just really excited to even if they're not speaking themselves to at least feel seen in a way like be it through like you know resonating with something that someone is saying or getting to just like experience the discussions uh 
verbally and like auditorily because that's such an alien experience in many ways from a lot of folks's you know for lack of a better term real world life you know outside of cons and outside of the internet yeah it's definitely a environment that you get to really go into this thing you clearly love that you don't ever get to anywhere else really And so, you know, one of the other things I've also noticed is, you know, obviously there's no TF convention as much as everyone at every fur convention. I feel like someone's like, oh, there should be a TF convention. And it's like, that's a lot of work. There's a reason why that doesn't always come up. Um, But, you know, obviously, you know, there's like we have panels that touch on transformation, but they are inherently at a convention where that is not the main focus. So. I was curious to know from both of you, like how you would recommend a, a theoretical TF fan navigate a convention where that isn't the main interest. Like, are there specific things people should do to maximize their time outside of just, you know, going to a panel or trying to meet up with people that would really kind of enrich or make them leave knowing that they have had, you know, a fulsome experience? Honestly, those are the two suggestions I would have is like, go with people that you plan to meet up with and you want to, you know, spend time with that really makes a big difference. Leave room for unplanned activities. If you meet people like be willing to hang out just in con spaces um, and chat or draw or what have you. And, you know, look at, look for places where your interests might intersect with others in ways you might not anticipate. Like if you went to Tofty's panel on animal costuming in ancient Greece and Rome, you would get a lot of transformation material um, because of the stories that they were depicting on stage. But you wouldn't get that from the title of the panel. Um. Yeah. <laughs> um, do you have any thoughts on that? I, I'm not a, I'm not a great person to ask for this because most of the time at a con I'm like okay the TF panels this time I will try to see if anybody's doing something else and otherwise I'm just gonna follow around the few people I know and just see what they're up to because most of this other stuff doesn't hold that much of an interest for me so I'm not very good. No, at that's that. fair too. But I think there's also an inherent benefit to like you know reminding people that they should follow you know, people that they know to some degree around if obviously if those people are okay with that, Um, because like you get to experience things in a way that, you know, can still be validating. Like I know when I went to my first convention, I didn't really go with anyone that I knew outside of my partner who it wasn't like a TF person. And a lot of it was just like, okay, I have these names that I know I'd like to at least see at a distance so I can put a name to a face or sorry, a face to a name. And, you know, I want to like listen to these conversations that people are having so that I can like experience them in some way, even if it's like a secondhand experience. And even just that, it's a good way to kind of diff your feet into that kind of socialization and then, you know, maybe you can start to build up friendships that way, um, even if you're just like fairly quiet um, and, you know, maybe you're not saying that much, you can still at least, I think, gain some of that experience simply by existing in those spaces and making time like you kind of mentioned, uh, Toledo, to have like these kind of unplanned meetups, because I know 
the first time I went, I tried to go to every single panel and it was like, that, that's probably not the best idea. You're, you'll get to experience some great stuff, but like, if you're there specifically to meet people, you need to have, you need to make time to actually have that happen in a way that might be a little bit more organic than just scheduling everything in. I guess you, if you, if you're on Twitter or something, you could always tweet out and just say like, Hey people, I'm here. Do you want to talk about TF or do something TF related? We got a block at this time or something, or we're hanging out here. There's an art jam going on. Everybody come yeah, over. Yeah. My little art jam thing that I organized at that convention a long time ago was not official. We just like found a couple tables in the con space. We put a, a couple posters around and we got like 15 to 20 people showing up, up for it. Yeah, I honestly found that, especially more recently, um, people generally try to make like telegram groups, I've noticed, and like will be like, oh, this is like the TF telegram group for like this convention. Mm. And then like people will post in there and be like, oh, we're going to have a hang up here, hang out here, or like we're into an art jam at this time, who's around, blah, blah, blah. And honestly, that makes a big difference as well in terms of just planned hangups would be. be uh... <laughs> Would allow, would give you the time to prepare for them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or maybe that's it's true. a that's maybe true. that's a, a a code word for first to TF folks. Ooh, that's a good point. I didn't even think of that. <laughs> Honestly, conventions are often the the location that I see get picked for those kinds of transformations. <laughs> so I mean, you never know. <laughs> um so then i guess is like kind of a a last point in terms of like people who you know are going to a convention and maybe are interested in this topic oftentimes like going to a transformation meetup is like the first time people are actually even socializing in person so i was curious if either of you had any like tips in terms of do's and don'ts when it comes to interacting with others in these spaces and if there's any tips that you would like to share around navigating those conversations that you think has either worked well for yourselves or you've seen work well for other people start with the common ground <laughs> i think is a good place to to begin and that's one reason i i like your panel zill because you um for folks who haven't attended one uh zill starts out by welcoming everyone and then just like putting a couple topics on papers and then distributing them and letting people gravitate toward the topics that they want to discuss um that is great because it just like allows people to to easily get past that first stage of like i'm interested in transformation but i don't know who all these other people are and i don't know how to like break the ice and it also gets people who are probably going to be more comfortable with each other talking with each other from the beginning so yeah that's that's something that i that i really enjoy about it thank you i'm, I'm glad and yeah i think having that common ground is just so key and in particular like at the very least you'll know hey if you're into werewolves there's a werewolf t table you can talk about werewolves you know so exactly precisely i would say also start with your name because sometimes people don't say their name and you're just talking to people that you can't put a name to and that really makes a difference just kind of in your mentality <laughs> um if you're a shy person like me there's nothing wrong with just watching and listening and having a good time that way um 
and speaking up if something particularly strikes your fancy or once you've kind of gotten your feet under you and you feel comfortable, um, especially like the first time you go. Um, and then if you're a person who is more extroverted and more energetic and more comfortable, if you can try to engage the people who are a little quieter and just ask, hey, what's your name? What are your, what, what do you think about whatever table we're at or this kind of TF or something? That can really help them try to come out of their shell and um, help them engage a little bit more. Um, but obviously don't push it if they feel shy. Sure. Absolutely. I, I know that, like, again, having that sort of opportunity when someone outstretches the hand to like engage in that sort of way can mean a lot and i know that there's a lot of people who come to these conventions who will actively try to do that because they've been to many of these before and they know how daunting it can be for someone who's new or shy or you know just doesn't have a lot of experience with this kind of stuff so generally speaking i do think that people organically make those opportunities and you know it's also okay to be like actually i'm just here to listen and it's no harm no foul yeah absolutely yeah, do what's comfortable. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And comfort, I think, is always just like the most important part. So um, I know that previously we've talked a little bit about talking to normies about TF stuff. I know in particular we drilled into this with you, Cameron, on, on your episode. Um, but I did want to kind of revisit it because I think it dovetails, nice, dovetails nicely with what kind of we were talking about in terms of, you know, socialization with other folks. Um, and given the importance, I think a lot of people internally place on it. Like there's almost a, a line that sometimes people feel like has been put in between what they're interested in at their core and what they present to other people. Um, so when it comes to specifically to friends, I was curious to know a little more about what your experiences have been and if you have any thoughts as to how we should approach conversations with these kind of external people when the stake can be really high in, in a lot of people's minds. Thinking about this, honestly, it's not something that I've done much. Like I found talking about anthro stuff to be uh, somewhat easier because there's almost more media that's related to it and also yeah honestly thinking about it this is a little bit of jumping ahead but yeah i think that pointing out media that expresses why you're interested in it is a big deal um but in any case i haven't spoken about it much and in fact i have my fa gallery and i have my deviant art gallery and i've kind of made my deviant art gallery like the one that i will just show people and I've limited the amount of TF on there because I'm just like, I don't know how I would quite feel qu field questions about non-furries to whom I show this gallery. <laughs> it's like, why are you depicting this? It's like, because it's fun. That's all you need. Yeah, in some cases. For me, like when it comes to friends, like, I mean, if you think of a random friend right now, you probably know, like, they're into this thing and you don't particularly care about it. And you don't dislike them and you don't question their friendship because of it. So with your friends, they'll probably just be like, huh, that's a weird, quirky thing that you like. But OK, like if they're not into it and not interested in it at all, then just don't talk to them about it. But you can still try to broach it and see if you can get them to just have a conversation with you. Um, they're probably still going to be your friend over it. It's not, as much as it seems like a huge deal in your head, I don't think it actually is that big of a deal. Um, and if you can share some safer work art, <laughs> it probably can just be like, whoa, interesting. 
Um, but obviously don't let them find your not safe for work gallery if you're not <laughs> at that level yet. So I, I, I think that the stakes really are not that high and it's just kind of a cool, albeit strange and unique hobby, but um, I, I think it can be worth and rewarding to bring it up with your friends. Yeah, actually thinking about it after what you said, yeah, for most friends it isn't that high. My my baseline for how I prepare for these conversations is conversations I've had with family that can, under the guise of, like, curiosity, almost turn into interrogations. <laughs> it's like, uh, the, where they won't accept, oh, it's fun for an answer. It'll be like, but what does it mean? Like, how is it fun? And I'm just like, ah, I don't want to get into that right now or it's not something i really want to just dive into without without warning but you're right for most people they're willing to accept you as you and they don't demand or expect a psycho history <laughs> of your interest now i kind of want that i kind of want the um <laughs> You want someone to psychoanalyze Well, you. I want somebody to be like, wait, 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 wait. Explain this to me. No, I, no, what do you mean? Go more in depth. I want to know. And like, the fact that somebody wants to understand it that much and be like, oh, this is interesting because clearly it's striking some sort of nerve in them, whether it's a, a good or a bad thing. Either way, it'd be very, a very interesting experience to have. It, it's so funny that you mentioned that. First of all, I did want to say as well, I do agree with what you said earlier in terms of it's not often like that deep for most people. It's like, oh, it's like an interest maybe you have and people don't think that much about it. Now, that being said, what you were just referring to, my experience in terms of talking about this with people who aren't into TF has almost exclusively been that. So it's really funny that you're saying, oh, it'd be really interesting. And I'm just sitting here and I'm like, yeah, that's pretty much the only response I guess I've I'm gonna have to go open up to somebody at work tomorrow. <laughs> oh <my gosh. laughs> be like, hey. <laughs> at the water cooler, you're like, so have you ever thought about growing a tail? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I like will. not not wearing one, growing one. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. It yeah, I, I, I mean again, I, I don't mind it. I in fact it I've only opened up about it with people I like care about and so that's why they've like shown so much interest in knowing more about it um but you know it's just it's funny that um sometimes these conversations can take on more of like a let's actually really dig into why it is that you're really interested in it and you know it was funny actually one person that I did talk about this with pointed out something really interesting that I hadn't thought of before you know if you tell someone like you're a furry there are like associations with that term but people generally like know right away what you're talking about and if you say you're into transformation there's a little bit more of like a okay this isn't something i've like seen as like a, a fascination before but this friend pointed out that you know transformation in terms of like a cultural impact has a much longer and much more in-depth history than the no commonly known like association of furry in this day and age. So, you know, sometimes you do really get these insights into 
transformation that you wouldn't if you didn't have these conversations and didn't try to like dig into them. So if anything, sometimes they can be really rewarding in terms of learning new things about this topic that you haven't thought of before. And like building off of that, I think that that's a great way to introduce it to someone. Like, so little side cul-de-sac that I'll come back around. Um, there was a fascinating NPR article npr thing uh years ago about the presence of quicksand as a threat in movies um cameron have you heard this uh not specifically but i think i know where you're headed with it okay i have no idea so i'm excited so this person was interested in like okay like there's quicksand appears as like a threat in like this very specific time period. What does quicksand mean in film? And the place where they could learn more about where quicksand appeared were people who were into it. <laughs> and so these people online had just like comprehensive lists of every appearance of quicksand in like film media. And they could notice that it was like discrete discreetly bounded in like a couple decades of the 60s and 70s and then like never again that went in a very different direction than i expected <laughs> um <laughs> but what i'm saying is that like there's this there's a the ways our paraphilias form are culturally influenced and so like people were in that time they the the researcher said like this might be an anxiety of being like trapped in a culture where you don't belong or like being unable to extricate yourself um, or what have you. It expresses the anxieties of the time. But like transformation as a cultural theme has been around for thousands of years. The, some of the oldest art depicts these liminal beings between human and animal like we you look back at a time where humans were kind of more aware of our place in an ecosystem and non-human animals were neighbors instead of pests or curiosities and yeah it's age old like we are participating in something that goes back tens of thousands of years and some of the things that fascinated them about it back then fascinate us about it now um and now like back then you might have animal transformation and nowadays of course transformation into a lot of different things including things that did not exist 10,000 tens of thousands of years ago but you know we say this now but tomorrow they'll discover a cave in Spain where they have depicted pool toys, like, yeah yeah a, a like half pool toy shaman that would be amazing uh, <laughs> I would, I would, I would laugh so hard. <laughs> Someone draw that. Um, <laughs> but like, yeah, I think that's that's how I would go about it. It's just like these express like human desires and human interests, human yearnings that we've had since the dawn of human history, as far as we can tell. That's a really good point, and in in a sense you can almost jokingly explain it in some ways as like, well, I'm just upholding this cultural fascination we've had for thousands of years. So, you know, I'm just doing my part to, you know, preserve culture. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
I've got 30,000 years of history behind myself. I don't need to explain it to you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh my goodness. So then I guess, you know, we've obviously focused a lot on like the positives that can come from it. I'm curious to know if you've had any like introductions to transformation that just went completely off the rails and went poorly in the past. Cause I know that that's always a concern that people have. And if so, if there was anything you learned from that experience, no, damn it. <laughs> Where's my bad <laughs> reaction. I want to, I want somebody to like, really fly off the handle because I think it'd say more about them than me and it'd be really interesting to see why they're so against it. That could be a really interesting conversation. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it definitely would. I I have only had one, so I'll, I'll hold off until the end. I don't know, uh, Toledo, if you have anything to comment on that. Um, I guess, like, one of, my, one of the early reactions to one of my early photo manips was that it was just freaky and they didn't like seeing the image of someone they knew like halfway to an animal form they kind of read the photo manipulation as a transformation i like furries do that all the time like the only almost the only people who commission me for photo manipulations are transformation people it's peculiar but yeah it's and, and what got them there was just the uncanny valley. They're used to seeing someone one way. Um, it's creepy to see them another. And also they just did not necessarily get the interest in being something else. Um, they have this image of you that is formed by their vision. Like they literally see you and that's what they think of you. Um, and the idea that you might want to be different is just baffling to many people. Or, like, what they see is not how you feel. I think that's that, that was the root of how it went wrong back then. And often the root of how it goes wrong now. And, yeah, it's always... And, again, that's a theme that occurs more broadly outside of transformation. It comes with any form of identity exploration. Like if you have a fashion that your parents didn't approve of or for people who are transitioning or what have you, you run into this because people just have a very hard time with, I can have a very hard time with identity or form fluidity or just like having to reorient their concept of a person. And to the point about the uncanny valley with photomorphs i think you bring up a good point in the sense is like if someone has a particular perception of you and then they're being confronted with some confronted with something that they know is supposed to be you but doesn't look like you it's almost like they're viewing in real time like almost like a liminal space of you for lack of a better term and it's like weird to see that transition from the one to the other in terms of how you have seen a person and how you are now being like asked to perceive them in a way that I think throws a lot of people off. Yeah, I think last summer when I switched sonas, I like oh, and I was making my my fursuit. At one point my mother asked, it's like, so are you drawing yourself as a panther now instead of a horse? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> and didn't quite go into that, but yeah, there's a moment of a bit of transformation vibes right there. And having to speak about it, it's like, what does this mean to me? What is the motivation? Like, yeah. 
You just ruined the fictional version that she had of you of her, uh, as her son. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> oh, I had a lovely I, horse son, and now he's a panther. What am I going to do? <laughs> How do I make exactly. this in my head? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like, if you think it's weird for you... <laughs> Like, let me tell you how it is for me. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. No, that's really interesting. I think my only negative experience was, and this, I guess, kind of builds on what you kind of mentioned, Cameron. The only time I've had a negative experience was with someone who initially, when I explained it to them, they feigned understanding, and then it ended up being kind of like a thing that they used to kind of like poke fun at me later on. And to your point, like that almost tells you more about the other person than it does to yourself. If someone is, you know, has good intentions, wants to be a good friend or what have you to you, you know, obviously there can be some like poking fun in a good nature. This was not that. And so in some ways, it also tells you a little bit more about the person in a way that maybe you would find out down the road anyways, and you've kind of accelerated bringing that to the forefront. So in some ways, even if it was a bit of a negative experience, it told me more about that interaction. And it was almost a, you know, a signal that perhaps this person wasn't who I thought they were. So I have always found that even if um, an interaction maybe doesn't go as well, you at least learn something about the other person, you learn a little bit of something about yourself. And you can use that in terms of pre-evaluating how you approach things and who you approach with it in the future. Yeah, that's a good point. You see how they react to your vulnerability and to your divergence from the expected norm. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, absolutely. Because it, it is a point of vulnerability to open up about yourself in that personal way, you know? Well, and one time I remember it wasn't like there was a bad reaction, but... It was a reaction that I didn't necessarily hope for. So the first person I dated, I like opened up about like drawing myself as a horse and she was supportive and enthusiastic about it, which just like broke me down because I didn't anticipate anyone being that way at the time. But I later found out that before we had had that conversation, she had discovered my deviant art with all of my like transformation photo manipulations. <laughs> and oh. I was I was a little uh, mortified at that moment. And we had a little conversation about transformation. And she mentioned that she had, like, written some things about it. But it became apparent that we had very different interests. Like, things that she wrote about transformation were things where it was, like, um, expressions of self almost maybe self antipathy or it was seen as like a a punishment into forms that she did not care for whereas for me it was like i want to inhabit these forms because i think they're really cool and so it was a it was a revelation that the same metaphor had very different valences or a very different valence for someone i cared about and that was weird and later we you know broke up and I don't think we've ever really returned to the topic, but that's an example of how it can go sideways. <laughs> yeah, that was a roller coaster. Yeah, honestly, I um, yeah, that that is that is quite something, I must say. And I mean, again, yeah, it, it, it speaks to how varied the 
experience of being interested in these topics can be and it can illuminate other things that you weren't aware of in the first place so wow that's really interesting now i really want to meet somebody who creates their own tf media but has that kind of or like a very different relationship with it because the way you're describing it it almost seems like they're punishing themselves and not in the like tf i like punishment in my tf but like the i really feel wrong about this and I don't like it at all, but I still create this. That would be a very interesting in-depth conversation. And granted, this is 15. I'm remembering a conversation that was 15 yeah, yeah, years yeah. ago. So, <laughs> But I'm sure there, there's got to be somebody out there, right? Who who thinks TF is horrible and creates it as a, like, a not good horror. There are, I think there are plenty, honestly. I mean, one of the things that, like, I think turns people off transformation as a metaphor is how it is very often just played for horror think about the you know donkey transformation scene in pinocchio like it was created for by people who may not have liked transformation but still created it or if we go even farther back donkey transformation and the golden ass by lucius apuleius it is depicted as like something that is undesirable um and the cause of many indignities <laughs> now maybe someone was into that but um but yeah there are plenty of people who create transformation media for these sorts of themes i guess yeah i'm sure that's the case i guess i'm looking for somebody who has a very personal relationship with it like to me when i think of like werewolf movies where it's a very torturous thing or the Pinocchio scene it seems like people are creating this to show you a perspective but I'm thinking of somebody who like really goes into it in a personal way and is constantly doing self stuff to explore it really in deeply or really in depth that would be like I'm sure that person exists or those people exist but it would just be interesting to see the very different relationship with it so if you're listening to this and that is your relationship, please DM Cameron. Yeah, great job listening this many episodes into something that seems to bother you. <laughs> sorry to bother you. Yeah, it's, uh, uh, well played, well played. <laughs> oh my goodness. If you want to start talking about TF Conversation, there's another a better time than mid-September to late October because it is officially spooky werewolf season and now you can just gush about how great werewolves are and people will get on get on the page with you and then you can start branching out from there actually addendum addendum to that like i have never been a werewolf person but like most of the tf stuff i've written has been werewolf stuff simply because that is like legible to folks yes people people know what it means i was not a very big werewolf person either but i just started talking about werewolves and now i'm on the werewolf kick from because one of the people i talked to about werewolves was really into werewolves so now like i kind of rubbed <laughs> off a but like it's a great great easy out to try to broach the topic with somebody if you're just trying to find a way to bring it up and then the other way that I find to bring it up is to talk about what superpower you would have. And then as soon as you say Ooh, shape yes. you can start getting that ball rolling. And if they're 90s kids, they probably know animals. Yeah, that too. That's true. That's true. That is... I can't, I can't believe that I'm surrounded by people who weren't into werewolves in the beginning. I can't believe this. <laughs> well, I just thought they were overrated. It's like, fucking the werewolves this, werewolves that. Everybody's into werewolves. Like, 
There are other like canids out there. Do a Maine wolf. Do a African wild dog. Just do something else, please, people. And that was pretty. Okay, but also why not both? I mean, sure, both? but like I don't know. <laughs> I feel like a lot of the time it's like, oh, I'm, I could do uh, an African wild dog, but I'm just gonna do a werewolf because it's easy and people love it, and there's that trope and blah blah blah. And it's like there's an opportunity cost to doing a werewolf. Okay, Cameron, I am. I am writing something that will have a maned wolf uh, in it. So I was gonna say, as soon as he mentioned that, I was like, "Oh, I bet that's coming up in Toledo's <laughs> thing." So oh, yes, <laughs> I pegged it correctly. Um, you guessed. <laughs> amazing, amazing. Um, yeah, so I did want to touch on one more topic before we get to audience questions, and that's the topic of interesting anatomical changes. You know, I find that. Amongst all of our works, I think we as artists try to pay special attention to the anatomical aspects of transformation. So I was curious to ask you both, what are the most fascinating and or perplexing changes that you've depicted in your work? And maybe uh, we'll start with you, Kim. I, I said this one before, but I liked making my wear Pyrenees polydactyl because he had those two double dew claws in the back. Um, so most of the, most of the interesting anatomical changes are things that are pretty unique to a species and it can be like little weird details. Like, um, in bats, they have a, tr uh, the tragus, which is that little nubby, um, in the middle of your ear that like, if you run your, run your hand along your cheek to your ear, it's that little nub that you meet. Bat species all have, um, pretty variable tragus, tragi. So, like, sometimes when I'm drawing bat species, I will vary the tragus because, like, oh, this Townsend's big-eared bat has this kind of tragus, and this big brown bat has this kind of tragus. Um, so it's usually the things that are, like, pretty unique to the species that I like the most. Perplexing-wise, yeah, I struggle with elbows. Clavicles can be really interesting because most animals don't have them, so they have to disappear. So that I can sometimes struggle with it's like hitting that straight 50 percent in the middle change for me is kind of hard and it's like either i'm gonna like start with a human base and do it that way or i'm gonna start with a dog base or like a, a quadruped base or whatever and i'm gonna like back it up <laughs> so it's because it's it's too difficult for me to to hit that sweet middle <laughs> okay so the thing that always gets me is noses because in the animal kingdom, humans have very odd noses because in part they like project away from the plane of the face and they're kind of narrow and triangular. And getting the transition between a human nose and basically any other animal nose is really interesting to me. Oh, also there are a lot of soft tissue. So there isn't an underlying bone, even if there is a little bit of structure. But it's t it takes me a while to think of how that would shift. With a horse, the upper lip would swell outwards, and then the kind of nostrils would kind of, would do a little bit of rotation and point forwards, and all of that. Um, the the bridge of the nose broadens, and just kind of pulls the nostrils apart a little bit. As with 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 my sona shift. I've had to think about how feline noses work a little bit more. And of course, they're a lot wider than human ones. But then, like, a human one is kind of like a triangle with the base closest to the head. The feline one is kind of an inverted triangle. I was triangle. about to say, it's like you have to flip it 180. <laughs> <Yeah>. Exactly. <laughs> 
And so I had to think about it's like, okay, why is this? Like, what are the corresponding parts? And I realized, like with felines, they have those huge kind of bulbous upper lips. So what happens is that the lip expands and pushes the no the corners of the nose up so that the shape inverts while the base stands firm. And I'm like, okay, now that I've like envisioned this transformation, I can actually conceive of how a cat nose works. Um, <laughs> yeah, and then just like, if people get the shift in nostrils and nose shape right, it is just like, amazing because you know they're paying attention 100 percent. i i completely agree on that one you i, I was going to talk about noses too so like that was that was better than i would have summarized honestly hey if you have other things to say about noses say them i just yeah i think like you were touching on with the cat nose is like noses just with humans are just so much more different and when you're doing kind of a facial morph that's always the trickiest part it's how do you depict the nose's changes like you said like with the nostrils they point often in a completely different direction from how they are on humans um, which can be quite the struggle um, and in particular like you said when it comes to animals that have kind of a a bigger gap between the nose itself and the upper lip, it can be a bit of a challenge in terms of how are you going to depict that without either A, making the nose look wonky or B, making the upper lip look wonky. Um, so <laughs> that that is always a little bit tricky. Um, and then I guess the other thing I'll mention, I, I wouldn't say they're like tricky, so to speak, from or like even fascinating to some degree from an anatomical perspective. But when you think about ears in terms of the relationship with humans versus a lot of other animals and their positioning on the skull, it, again, it can be a little bit, you have to be very careful with how you depict it because you have to figure out where exactly on the head they are supposed to move to. Because if you don't put them in quite the right spot, it can look really strange. So, you know, a lot of times in, you know, in photo manips in particular, you'll see ears that have been changed that are resting just where an ear would normally rest for a human and if it is an animal where that isn't supposed to be it looks really strange but then the counter uh, factual is okay if i put it where it's supposed to be you have now this like skin patch where the ear was supposed to be and it's like do you cover that up with hair like how do you like address that do you just fur it and that's your like excuse it it's always a bit of a, a tricky thing that to balance is i guess what i'm saying can i add a couple just a brief notes An another one is hips like this shift from a bipedal to a quadrupedal stance is like definitely located in the hips but the hips are like really complicated and a lot of the complications are buried under layers of muscle um but some people can get it right and that's pretty amazing and then going on with your ears skull shapes humans have really weirdly vertical skulls we have such big foreheads um, yeah. Like, if you think about putting a hat on a dog, or if you want to TF somebody who's wearing a hat, it's like, what do I do with this? There's there's this unaccounted for space. Yes, yeah. Like, animal baseball caps have to be basically flat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's, it's hilarious. True. Okay. Yes. Those those are two others that where like if people get them right, I'm like, yes, good. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, the forehead is a big one. I hadn't even, like, I didn't consciously think about that, but that is another one that is often very challenging to nail properly, so completely agree there. And oh, and the connection of the <laughs> hooves. Yeah. Oh, hooves. Especially horse hooves. 
Yes. Oh, and the connection of the neck to the head. Mm, like, that's and this one, one it, it shows up when you're even just drawing anthros. Because if you just like put an animal head on a human neck, it looks wonky. So folks who are drawing anthros should do a little bit of transformation stuff just to figure out how that all works. <laughs> it's very true. So then, you know, when we think about challenging anatomical changes, do you think that there are any species that are just simply too complicated or too difficult to properly portray in a TF from an anatomical perspective? For me, yes. For anyone, no. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well then, which which ones are you thinking of in particular? Like, which one or two stands out? Uh, well, you said you said species, so I've tried to do, like, bacteria before. And my, oh my style gosh. does not lend well to a bacteria <laughs> or a mushroom or a mold or a yeast um, or a moss. So things that aren't very animal or are quite different from kind of your typical animals. Like, oh my gosh, I would love to see a, I don't know if I would love to see this, a human into a tapeworm where you have segments that oh fall off yourself. Oh my. Like, that would be really weird. And like, how much, how long would you as a tapeworm be and... It would be a weird TF. That would be very disturbing, though. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Ugh. How about you, Toledo? Oh, my goodness. Anything with just iterated small details is just something that I don't necessarily want to depict. Um, like a pangolin or a, a scaly lizard or something? Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I don't have a good shorthand for rendering those. Um, or also, like, birds with complex feather patterns. I mentioned this in the other episode with toucans, but one nice thing about them is that they are, like, black and another color, and the feathers are indistinct. So, um... But if you had to do, like, a red tail hawk where the underside of them has, like, that brown speckling and, yes. and their tails have that... Oh, yeah, and their tails have a, a specific speckling. Uh -huh. Or like a screech owl who is really camouflaged for like a tree. So yes. Try to make him look like tree bark. Or one of those fancy chickens where every <laughs> feather is outlined. <laughs> like, <laughs> if I'm sent to TF hell, that's what I'm, that's what I'm, <laughs> I'll end up drawing for the rest of eternity. Fancy chickens. Yeah. From an anatomical perspective, a lot of the things that I mentioned are just hard. Like, I could not draw a hip shift in the way that I would want to see, just because I'm not practiced enough with the anatomy. <laughs> yeah, you talking about noses just now makes me want to just like, I'm just going to spend a week and only draw noses in various stages of TF. Yes. <laughs> because like, noses are so hard, it's just like, you know what, I'm just going to knock this out and, and learn how to do it. <laughs> do it! Oh, that would be awesome to see. You, you have a great eye for anatomy. Um, I, I really, it's, it's always impressive. I appreciate it. Cause I don't feel that way. And I feel like at least recently, all the noses I draw look exactly the same and I don't want it that way. I want to depict multiple different kinds of noses. Yes. <laughs> so I will, I might do that. I look forward to it. I will, I will fave that so fast. <laughs> cool. Then I guess I'm obligated now. <laughs> <laughs> snoots snoots for days snoots are so important no I no no not this. the whole snoot <laughs> just the nose <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay fine no just nose is fine too <laughs> I'm, I'm working on a sketch right now and it's just been like 
I'll draw for an hour and not make any progress because I'm stuck on how to do the muzzle. And I'm just like, okay, I'll put it away for today. <laughs> I gotta, I gotta practice more. <laughs> I would echo all of that, honestly. I think that, um, you know, I've done my best to improve my own anatomy, but um, sometimes there's things that you just don't have as much experience or haven't put in as much practice to. And some of those more subtle changes, I think I still have a ways to go. So definitely echo that. I was, my personal answer was going to be um, the hips. Uh, I I need to do better on that, to be completely honest. And um, torsos that expand um and like maybe like get sucked in in other spaces um it's it's very simple to just do like a a one and done but that doesn't mean it's actually anatomically correct and so i definitely would like to continue to put more effort into that because i'm sure i have a ways to go on that front well how hard are hips in a photo manip that sounds like borderline impossible okay here's my trick for the times that i've done it use multiple photos so so like I did a very popular um, husky TF years ago, like eleven years ago. I know exactly which one you're talking about. Um, where <laughs> the the guy is scratching his own ear. And for that one, I got uh, two different photos. I got one that I used for the upper body, and then I got one that I used for the lower body. And so with the lower body one, I just oh, and then I got one for the background. For the lower body one, I just sat so the legs would be in the posi- the dog position, and I did the same with the upper body. And I combined them, and it looks impossible, but that's how it worked. And I, I did another bulldog one that, yeah, granted, I did not use multiple photos for that, but got into a weird pose that was easy to then, like, shift into looking like that i could add a bit more curve to the spine and like pull the pull the thigh up so it looks like it's like flatter against the torso um instead of projecting down below it and that kind of gives that that perspective so yeah it's photo manipulations i feel are actually easy a bit easier in that respect because you don't have to construct everything from scratch that's true that's a good point i'm gonna have to use that trick next time uh, I hadn't thought of that, but that is a very good point. I look forward to it. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. So I do want to leave a little bit of time here for audience questions. We did have two questions uh, that were pitched to us from the usual suspects and always appreciate their questions. This first one, I think, touches a little bit on kind of the things we've talked about. So we'll maybe try to not answer with anatomical answers. But Fire asks, what is a detail that you've included in a piece that you feel extremely clever or proud of? Okay, I'm going to continue on the theme that I was there, uh, that I was just using. And I'm always really pleased when I can combine multiple photos in it to look natural. For instance... Uh, there was a photo manipulation I did with you, Zill, where you're a shark and I'm an orca. Yes. Um, <laughs> the only problem is <laughs> I am so short that those board shorts that I have in, on in the photo come down to like my mid calf. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> so I took a photo where I was like not wearing the board shorts. And then mm-hmm. I took a photo that I, where I was wearing the board shorts And I was able to combine them. But here's where the trick was. So, like, I had to imagine where the camera would be in the final piece. 
and then align it with where the different parts of my body would be in the final piece. Because oh, you're much taller in the final piece. Exactly. So for the picture that I took of my the board shorts and my torso, I put the camera down lower than the one where I took the picture of the legs. And so that is, that, that's, you can play with that. And so you don't have to like create perspective. You can build it into the photograph. Um, and it creates a really nice effect that no one notices. Very clever. Very, very clever. How about you, Cameron? To be honest, this is going to be really not great of me, but if I nail hair in a piece, I get super proud of it because I struggle with hair. And Mm -hmm. that is why my current icon on Twitter is the EVTG I did, because I just Mm -hmm. fucking nailed that hair, and I'm so proud. (laughs) (laughs) But if I had to give an actual answer... I've only really done one main horse TF before, and I feel so proud for getting the head the way I did because it looks like it could be me in in the middle of the TF, obviously. And, like, I feel like I did a great job getting a mid-TF horse because a lot of the horse TFs that I end up seeing kind of has these weird kinds of horse heads or, or like, they really exaggerate teeth in a way or... Or something. I just felt like I really nailed it. And I'm really proud and I'm staring at it right now. <laughs> awesome. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> and and I'm almost scared to do I wanna do more horse TF, but I'm almost scared to do it because I don't think it's gonna come out this well. <laughs> <laughs> do it. Well you, you should still do it. You still gotta do it. <laughs> oh and you know Not what? every horse wins the Kentucky Derby. Yeah. Yeah, but at least they're running, I guess. That's a great analogy. Um, I would say personally, there is a TF I did, a dragon TF, and that was definitely the most technical, technically challenging photo manip I've ever done. But the detail that I'm really proud of is how the wings turned out in that one, um, because wings are just notoriously difficult to do in photo manipulation and in particular when you're thinking about a dragon you have both a a skeletal almost like outline but then you have the like skin that is like making the actual wing and that has to be a different texture and a different look from how the rest of everything looks um so i I, it took me a while before i was finally happy with it and in particular there's the wing that's facing away from the viewer and i wanted to make it so that the outline of the bone that's helping to make the the membrane stretch out for the wing was somewhat visible but not like fully visible and that i think i actually nailed to some degree so i'm very pleased with how that turned out so i I guess that is also anatomically adjacent but it was a detail that i was happy with so yeah and so then our other question comes from ulysses duckler and he asks if you could get absolutely anyone what famous director author or actor with a less direct connection to tf furries would you bring on the podcast to talk about transformation for an hour? So I guess no, uh, no K. Applegates, no uh, R. L. Steins. We got to pick someone that's got less of a direct connection. I don't want to use a trolley answer, so just as a joke answer, J.K. Rowling, and we just kind of trash her about how cool it is. <laughs> <laughs> We're just like, 
Yeah, Draco Malfoy turning into a ferret was really the high point of the entire series. <laughs> oh, absolutely. That was like the best part. <laughs> um i i actually have a a legit answer and it's one that i came across fairly recently um so i would want to have sigourney weaver on and the reason why is she doesn't have as obvious a connection to tf but apparently she has such a strong love for werewolves that she has literally taken on movie projects specifically because there are werewolves in it and for no other reason um namely cabin in the woods which did have werewolves in it um and i i'm like okay i feel like there's like a tapped interest we can tap into there and like she's also just been in so many interesting things that are kind of tf adjacent i mean avatar comes to mind alien comes to mind there's a lot of like vibes around there so i feel like that would be a really interesting conversation you know okay actor i've got one doug jones Um, yes (laughs) so like so he is this actor who is incredibly tall and skinny and also just incredibly talented so he gets these roles where he gets put into like these full body monster suits all the time um so in the hellboy movies he was abe sapien a fish person um who is like a nerd in uh, the Shape of Water, he's the fish man. Um, and in Star Trek Discovery, he is uh, Commander Saru, who is an alien who has, like, kind of hoofy feet and some really interesting, like, body language motions. Yeah, he is just... He has played so many, quote-unquote, monsters that are often, if not all, sympathetic in ways. So, like, I think it would be fascinating to talk with him about that, as well as the as well as to talk with him about the literal embodiment of these characters, like getting into the makeup, getting into these full body suits, acting in that, like, what does it, what is it like to like dance with an actress in like a (laughs) giant fish man suit? (laughs) Yeah. In a fish person suit. And also he just like, Everything I've seen about him is that he's, like, one of the sweetest people you'll ever meet. So I think he would be a fantastic guest. Um, for a non-trolly answer, I might say Douglas Adams. Just because I'm not as big of a reader as I used to be, so I've kind of fallen off that. And I know so little about directors and actors. But he has interesting sci-fi ideas. I really like Hitchhiker series. Um, so it would just be interesting to talk to him and about what he would think about TF. And then the other one I had was Malcolm Miller, the author of an anatomy book on dogs <laughs> that is basically just like, oh, <laughs> transect the biceps muscle and you will find the radial nerve running about this, blah, blah, blah. And so it's like in-depth dissection anatomy guide to learn anatomy. So just to talk to him about TF and anatomy and what kind of cool stuff or ideas he might bring to it would be kind of interesting. Amazing. I I just want to see that invite. It's just like... (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Malcolm Miller, uh, we know you're busy doing research on anatomy and stuff. Uh, Would you want to come on this podcast? (laughs) We talk about people turning into things. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) That would be amazing, honestly. I would love to write that email. (laughs) (laughs) amazing well that was all the questions i had for y'all i don't know if you have any lingering questions for me 
What are you going for Halloween this year? I don't know. I haven't figured that out yet. I really should. I mean, I have both a, a Ratchet cosplay and a Rocket Raccoon cosplay that I can always fall back on. I might end up falling back on that again, but uh, you never know. Maybe I'll figure out something else. <laughs> I was going to do uh, my Gemsbok D&D character, but I've kind of fallen off the wagon on that project. Um, although I think I could manage maybe to finish the head and a tail by Halloween, if I focused. <laughs> that's, that's an undertaking. I can't believe you're doing that. Yeah. Well, currently I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's true. That's true. Oh, amazing. Well, thank you so much both for coming on. I really enjoyed chatting with you both, and I hope you all enjoyed chatting with one another as well. Um, if folks are looking for you, where can they find you online? Uh, I don't know, Toledo, if you want to go first. Sure. Um, on FA, you can find me as out-of-the-box, spelled B-O-K-S, as in the antelope variety. Um on DeviantArt, you could find me as Toledo the Horse with hyphens between the words, and on Twitter as Toledo the Horse without the hyphens. Um, those are the three main places I exist online nowadays. Amazing. And uh, and you, Cameron? Um, on FA, you can find me at Curious Red Fox with like the little tilde squiggle because I couldn't find the hyphen on the phone keyboard I was making the account on, and. On Twitter, I'm at A underscore Curious underscore Fox. Perfect. Well, thank you so much both again. And thank you to everyone for listening to this week's episode. I hope y'all stay safe, uh, stay hydrated, get some good sleep, and keep an open mind, and stay TFE this week. And we'll see you back again next week for more TFE goodness. Thanks so much, Zill. Yeah, Thanks anytime. So <laughs> Happy fall. Happy fall. Awoo. <laughs> Awoo. It's spooky season. <laughs> Ciao, folks. <laughs>